You are listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. There are a lot of exciting things going on at Collective as the new year begins, so make sure you are following us on social media at My Collective Church to stay in the loop. Now here's Sunday's message. Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh, it feels right because it's the 24th. I said that last night, and I was like, somebody got to work the next day. Uh, my name is Michael Bartlett, and I'm lead pastor here, and I'm so glad you're with us tonight. More than anything, the 3 p.m. service, I'm glad you all got seats. Uh, last night at our 3 o'clock, this got, was so full, people were sitting in the lobby. So thanks for showing up on time and being here with us. Now, when thinking about Christmas, there are certain things that are canon, meaning they're part of the Christmas story no matter what. Things like Christmas trees and singing Christmas carols. If you're from Frederick, it's seeing the boats on Carroll Creek. It's night like, nights like tonight. It's Christmas with Collective. But it's also grandma uncomfortably asking when you're going to find a nice boy to marry in the middle of your Christmas dinner. If you have siblings, it's fighting with the favorite child who didn't stick to the $20 rule because they want to continue to be the favorite child. Right? It's practicing that, oh, I love this face because you're just so prepared for the gift of underwear from your in-laws. And it's watching, if your in-laws don't do that, please. And it's watching Christmas movies by the light of a Christmas tree illuminating the room. Over the past few weeks, we've been in a series called Christmas Classics, where we've been looking at some of the most iconic Christmas movies of all time and discovering some of the spiritual truths that are just below the surface. If you love Christmas movies, uh, I encourage you, if you weren't here for the series, go to YouTube or Spotify, look for Collective Church and check them out. We talked about the movies Christmas Vacation. We talked about The Grinch, A Muppet, Family Christmas, and Elf. But tonight, we're going to talk about the most famous Christmas movie ever, It's a Wonderful Life. Now, by a round of applause, how many of you would say that you absolutely love this movie? Okay, that's good, good. Uh, Okay, now let me ask this, though, because I found this out last night. Uh, Some of you have never seen this before, so by a round of applause, how many of you have never seen It's a Wonderful Life? Okay. All right, so it's about 50-50. It's a Wonderful Life is the top-rated Christmas movie of all time. And this isn't just on one list. This is all the list. IMDb, Esquire, AV Club, and more all say that It's a Wonderful Life is the most classic of all the Christmas classics. It's a Wonderful Life came out in 1947. So if you haven't seen it yet, be prepared for it to be in black and white. Um, There is a colorized version, but it's not the same. So don't watch that one on Amazon later today. And when the movie first came out, even though it is a favorite today, when the movie first came out, it was critically panned, meaning people absolutely hated it. Frank Capra, who wrote and directed the movie, wanted it to lift the hearts of the American people after World War II. It was the first Christmas since the war, and cinema cinema goers were looking for a movie with undemanding optimism. I love that phrase, undemanding optimism. It's this idea that people wanted optimism that they didn't have to work for, optimism that they didn't have to search for. And so really, here's what people wanted. They wanted a movie about a big city lawyer, writer, baker, or former athlete who returns to their small town to inherit something, to save the family business, or to collect the pieces of their life after a tragedy. And while doing that, they magically fall in love with the sensitive guy in plaid with that old flame or that guy she never noticed in high school but had that glow up. And Christmas, the town, Santa, and love, these things are all saved forever. What did people want? A Hallmark movie, right? 
But if you've seen It's a Wonderful Life, you know that this is not what Capra provided. People wanted a movie that showed how wonderful life can be, but instead they got a movie that was about how hard life can be. And because the movie didn't deliver undemanding optimism, it bombed at the box office. It actually did so poorly that Capra chose not to fully copyright the movie. So in the 70s, when the copyright officially lapsed, TV networks saw it as free content. And they started playing it every single Christmas because they know they could broadcast it without any of the fees. But this time, people connected with it. People resonated with the story of the highs and lows of life that didn't have a perfect Christmas bow on it. And today, it is the most adored Christmas movie out there. It's a Wonderful Life is about a man named George Bailey who lives in Bedford Falls. And from the very start of the movie, you realize that George is a really good person. He's a really good kid. He's a really good man. He is someone who sacrifices a lot for the people that he loves. He does everything he can to take care of his community. It actually inspired us to do the same this Christmas. This Christmas, Collective is partnering with RIP Medical Debt to pay off $1.2 million in medical debt in Frederick County and the surrounding area. RIP Medical Debt is a nonprofit dedicated to removing the burden of medical debt for individuals and families across America. To do this, RIP purchases unpaid and unpayable debt at a significantly reduced rate for individuals with financial hardships. Rather than collect the debt, they forgive it through the help of organizations like ours. The way this works is that for every dollar donated, RIP Medical Debt resolves hundreds of dollars in debt. Then, once a family's debt is abolished, they report the debt as forgiven to the credit bureaus. Today, we are giving $10,000 to forgive $1.2 million and wipe out medical debt that is weighing on the shoulders of the people in our community. Later this week, they will receive a letter that states, we are pleased to inform you that you no longer owe the balance of your debt referenced above to the above provider. This debt has been canceled and abolished with funds donated by Collective Church. The forgiveness of the amount you owe is a no-strings-attached gift, and you no longer have any obligation to pay this debt to anyone at any future time. And this is all possible because of the generosity that continues to overflow from the hearts of many of you. Because of you, families and individuals will receive a Christmas miracle, a fresh start to their 2024, and hope for their future. Thank you for partnering with us to change the lives of people in Frederick. So we actually did this a few years ago during COVID. We partnered with other churches in Maryland, and we paid off $5.5 million in debt that Christmas. But for the past few years, uh, we've been trying to figure out a way to do this again, to give one final Christmas gift to our city, to love our community in a huge way in the name of Jesus. Uh, and it wouldn't be possible without the hundreds of people who call Collective Their Church home and give generously here. But if you've seen the movie... If you know who George Bailey is, you know so much of his life is about other people. And while we've been wrestling the past few years to figure this out, we felt like this was the best year to get this started as a yearly gift that we give to our community. Because everything George did was about Bedford Falls and the people that he lived with. There's this beautiful quote from Pa Bailey, his father. He says this, all you can take with you is that which you've given away. And so that's something we wanted to do this Christmas. Let's get back to the movie. One of the things that we learned about George early in this movie is that he has all these dreams about what he wants his life to look like. Check this out. 
Mary, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow and the next day and next year and a year after that. I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet and I'm going to see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. Then I'm coming back here and go to college to see what they know. And then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields, I'm going to build skyscrapers a hundred stories high, I'm going to build bridges a mile long. Were oh, you going to throw her up? Hey, that's pretty good. What did you do? Right after this, he asks Mary, what do you want? He says, do you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. This is probably the most iconic scene in the movie, and we love this because we know what it's like to have dreams, to dream about our future, our future family, our future life, our future career, our future joys. When I was a kid, my dream was to be the lead pastor of a church. I'm just kidding. It was not. <laughs> I wanted to be a professional baseball player. That didn't pan out, so hey, here I am. But George has all these dreams, dreams of going to college, of becoming an architect, of leaving Bedford Falls, of traveling the world, of marrying the dream girl, of having the dream family, and making that dream money. And he believes that when all of these dreams come true, he will live a wonderful life. But this movie shows us what we already know to be true about dreams. Dreams don't always come true the way we hope they will. They don't. But I think that's why people love this movie so much. Because George doesn't end up living a fantasy life. He lives a normal life, a hard life, a semi-wonderful, often unwonderful life full of dreams that come true, kind of come true, and don't come true at all, just like us. When you think about it, this is just like the story of the birth of Jesus. In the book of Luke, which is one of the four biographies written about Jesus in the New Testament of the Bible, Luke writes this in Luke 2.1, he writes, at the, at the time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. One thing we say all the time at Collective when reading details like this in the Bible is that these details matter because they show us that this is not a once upon a time in a land far, far away kind of fairy tale. What Luke is doing is he's creating an opportunity for people to fact check him. What he's saying is this happened to real people at real places at a real time in history. Story continues in verse three. It says, all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to, Na or go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. So let me set this scene for you all. Mary and Joseph have to pack up their donkey and go from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which is a three-day ride. So let's think about this, ladies. You are nine months pregnant and having to head to the in-laws for a few weeks on a donkey. Is this the dream? <laughs> right? Of course not. Mary would rather be at home nesting. Joseph would rather not be with his family, which is why he lived three days away. Right? There's no way that this is Joseph and Mary's dream scenario. Let's keep reading. Verse 5 says, He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who is now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. And so Mary, who is a virgin, is pregnant because an angel came to her and told her that she was going to give birth to the Son of God. And when she told Joseph about this, his first thought was to divorce her because he assumed that she was crazy or had an affair or maybe both. 
But then an angel came to Joseph and said, don't leave her because it truly is God's son. And so he did the right thing and he sticks by Mary's side. But this is not the dream. Joseph fathering a child that isn't his, Mary, a pregnant teenager, Mary knowing that her whole life is gonna be full of rumors and sideways talking because she's the virgin who gave birth. They don't get the dream wedding. They don't get their family and friends coming together to celebrate. It's just the two of them alone, alone giving birth to Jesus in what was actually a cave where they kept these animals because Joseph's family wouldn't let them into the house because of the scandal. This was not their birthing plan. This is not how they wanted their life to go. This wasn't what they had prayed for. This wasn't the future that they talked about on their date nights. This wasn't the dream. And the same is true for George Bailey. Now, if you haven't seen the movie, spoiler alert, uh, you had 75 years to watch this movie, so I don't feel bad about ruining this for you. But as the movie goes on, we see that George's life doesn't look anything like he had hoped it would. At 18, George's dad dies of a stroke, and he's forced to take over the savings and loan business that his dad started. Because of this, he has to stay in Bedford Falls. He also takes care of his mom, and so instead of going to college, his brother gets to go instead. He and Mary do eventually get married, but as they're leaving town to travel to Europe on their honeymoon, they see that there's a run on the town bank because it's the Great Depression. People are withdrawing all of their money, and so George heads to the savings and loan, a job that he didn't want, and he uses all of his honeymoon money to keep the business afloat. And so his honeymoon is canceled. On top of all that, there's another business owner in town, a guy named Mr. Potter, who makes it his life goal to destroy George and everything he has done for the community. He even offers George a job that will make all of his wildest dreams come true, but it's going to come at the cost of George's character. It's going to come at the cost of Bedford Falls. And so George turns the job down, and it's pain after pain, broken dream after broken dream. George lives an unwonderful life, and we feel that, don't we? Looking out, I know there are people in this room right now who are spending Christmas alone for the first time since their divorce. There are people in this room right now who have lost loved ones, and what they're navigating this Christmas is grief. There are people in this room right now who are battling cancer and wondering if this is the last Christmas they will get. It's a wonderful life, isn't it? But here's what the Christmas story is all about. Here's why Christmas matters, and it's not gifts and trees and carols and movies. Christmas is the reminder that life is wonderful, not because of our circumstances, but because of the hope that became real when Jesus was born. Christmas is the reminder that there is still hope even in our broken dreams. Christmas is a reminder that there's still joy even when life isn't what we want it to be. Christmas is the reminder that life can still be wonderful even when it feels unwonderful. Let's go back to the story of Mary and Joseph. Life clearly isn't what they wanted it to be, but that's okay. And here's why. Luke 2, starting in verse 8, says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. Do you know what the number one command is in the Bible? It's don't be afraid. Life is hard. Don't be afraid. Things aren't going the way I'd hoped. Well, don't be afraid. I don't know how to manage this pain. Don't be afraid. I feel lost. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. 
The good news and great joy is the unconditional love from the creator of the universe. It's grace and endless second chances, the truth that there's nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there is nothing you can do to make God love you less. It's a no-strings-attached gift from God where we no longer have to pay the debt that our sin creates. It's freedom from our past. It's restoration and the resurrection of the broken things in our life, and it is that life can be wonderful. And here is the proof. Verse 12, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Here's how you will recognize the good news that brings great joy to all people. It will not be because all of your wildest dreams come true. It won't be because you live a life without any pain. It won't be because everything is perfect. It's because the son of God is lying in a manger and he's gonna change the world. So the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. Toward the end of the movie, life has beat George down, and he hits his breaking point. A bank examiner comes to the savings and loan, and money is missing, which means that George is going to jail. Everything he has sacrificed to keep his dad's business open doesn't matter anymore because he's about to lose it all. On top of that, they live in a small town, and rumors are flying around town about his marriage. When he finally gets home to catch his breath, he's greeted by a sick kid, and it's just too much. He is tired and broken and sad and angry and scared. And so he heads to Bedford Falls, and he goes into a bridge, and looking down at the water, he wishes that he'd never been born as he contemplates suicide. And then the last thing he does is he prays. He prays. He asks God for help, and he says, God, show me the way. And if you've seen the movie before, uh, to be honest, it's theologically insane, but that's okay because it's Hollywood. But there's this beautiful scene when an angel says, a man down on earth needs our help. And Clarence, George's guardian angel, says, well, is he sick? And the other angel responds, no worse. He's discouraged. And so the angel comes to earth to tell George just how much he is worth. That, yes, life is hard, but his life has value. And even though the theology in the movie is way off, the truth isn't. Our lives have value. Your life has value. And if you are feeling discouraged or you are stuck in this place where you don't feel like life is all that wonderful, please know that your life is value. 1 Corinthians 6, 20 says this, for God bought you with a high price. And this is true for everyone in the room, whether you believe in God or don't believe in God, whether you trust God or don't trust God, whether you love God or hate God, you were bought with a price and that price was Jesus. Do you know the good news that brings great joy the angels were talking about? It's this, you are so valuable to God that he sent his son Jesus to be born of a virgin named Mary, and Jesus would grow up and live a perfect life, a sinless life, and Jesus would do that because he knew that he would have to give up his life for ours, that he would have to be perfect in every single way to pay the sacrifice and pay the debt for our sins so that we could be forgiven by God. That's the price. That's the high price that has been paid. It is a life for a life, Jesus's life for yours and Jesus's life for mine. And 33 years after the shepherds saw the Messiah, the one who was sent to rescue us from our sin, sitting there in a manger, Jesus would willingly be arrested, beaten, humiliated, and nailed to a cross where he would die the most excruciating death imaginable. 
He would then be buried in a tomb, but three days later, he would conquer death in the grave, proving that there is good news, proving that there is great joy, even in the pain, proving that even though life can be hard, we can have peace because Jesus has overcome the world, proving that life can be wonderful, not because of our circumstances, but because of the hope that became real when Jesus was born. And I know some of you are here right now, and you are kind of in your George Bailey moment. You're standing on this bridge and you're asking, is my life worth it? Can I get through this? I thought life would be wonderful and it's not, or at least it doesn't feel very wonderful right now. And you're asking God, God, please show me the way. And so hear me as I say this again, your life has value. And that's not just me saying that or this church saying that. Those are God's words. John 3, 16, Jesus says this, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Romans 5.8 says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. This means it doesn't matter how lost we are or broken we are or sinful we are, Jesus died for us. He paid that price. And when you believe that, when you trust that, you realize that it truly is a wonderful life. Not because everything is perfect, but because of Jesus and his grace and peace and hope and joy. At each service tonight, Uh, we are celebrating a baptism. And baptism means to be immersed in water. It symbolizes our own death, burial, and resurrection. It's putting our old selves to death and being raised into new life that is only found in Jesus. And if you are not a follower of Jesus and you are sitting here thinking, I need that hope. I I want that good news and great joy in my life. It starts with him. It starts with faith. It starts with trusting Jesus. And if you want to talk to somebody about what that means for your life, what we encourage you to do is grab that connection card and check the baptism box. And someone will call you this week. It won't be tomorrow because it's Christmas tomorrow, but probably the day after that, we will call you. But if you are not a follower of Jesus, please don't leave tonight thinking that Christmas with Collective is just another box to check this season because it's not. The reason why this matters and the reason why I think you are here tonight is to know this. Jesus came to bring good news and great joy into your life, and that can make life feel wonderful even amidst all the crap. It can. And listen, I know uh, some of you are skeptical, and that's okay. I know some of you have been through some things or seen some things or done, done some things that make it hard for you to believe that there is a God, that there is good news, that there is great joy, that there is hope that life can be wonderful and hard at the same time. But you don't have to be naive to follow Jesus. I would actually argue the more real we are about the unwonderfulness of life, the more we realize that it is only by God's grace that we are still standing. And I know that's true for me. I grew up in a broken home after my parents went through a really nasty divorce when I was in high school. And this led to anger and bitterness and the voice in the back of my head constantly telling me that I was not enough. But through Jesus, I've replaced that pain with purpose, and I know that Jesus sees me as enough. But it's not just me. Let me read some of the stories that have been shared over the past year here at Collective. I was a drug user for 39 years, and in 2016, I had a motorcycle accident where I died 23 times. I don't know why, but God brought me back to life that day and he gave me a second chance. I fell into a deep depression with suicidal thoughts at age 10 and this continued through high school, but God kept pursuing me and I found a way out of my depression and found a life that's still hard, 
but full of hope and joy through God. I drank to suppress my trauma and to self-medicate my mental health issues. I was able to stop drinking while I was pregnant, but shortly after my son was born, I started drinking again, so my husband kicked me out. This was the lowest time of my life, but I got sober, found faith again, and addressed my mental health issues. Now I'm back at home with my husband and son. Jesus completely changed my life, and now I enjoy living. I married the love of my life, but then one month later, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. After months of exams, tests, surgeries, and fertility choices, I was exhausted physically, mentally, and spiritually. I knew I couldn't do it myself anymore, so I turned to Jesus. I got baptized, I gave my life to him, and I was set free. A few weeks ago, I celebrated my six-year cancer survivor anniversary, and I could not have made it this far without Jesus standing with me. I got pregnant when I wasn't ready to be. I was lost and confused and did not choose life for my child. I didn't know what else to do, so I turned back to God, and through faith in him, I started to experience the healing and restoration that only Jesus can offer. I was sexually abused by my grandfather, and for many years, I lived in shame. I learned of the love of God, and while it took some time, I finally felt that I could let go of my past and forgive him. God's unconditional love freed me from my shame. I was truly lost. I was a drug dealer, drug user, gang member, and a cheater. I'd spent most of my life in prison and was proud of it, but Jesus interrupted that life, and today I'm a husband, a father, I am honest and trustworthy, I'm a business owner. When I look back, I see that God has always been there for me. When I was a teenager, we moved to the U.S. very abruptly. This was a culture shock in many ways, but the hardest was that it showed the extent to which my dad was an alcoholic. I was verbally, emotionally, and physically abused by him. While my father made me feel unlovable, I always felt God's love for me. Even in the darkest days, moments, and years, I knew that God was with me and that I belonged to him. And for years and years, I battled a pornography and sex addiction. I tried to bury, lie, and manipulate in order to keep an image, but my addiction led me into multiple affairs, and eventually my life came crashing down. I lost my job and separated from my wife, leaving her and my one-year-old son at home. Once I was able to focus on my own faith and relationship with God, he started to take over. I am now five years sober and back with my wife. We've had two more children, and by his grace, our marriage is stronger than ever. God saved my life, and God saved my marriage. And the thing is, I, I could keep going. I could change all these stories out, service after service after service, because this church is full of people who would say that life has not been very wonderful to them, but they still have hope through Jesus. And through Jesus, there is joy, and through Jesus, there's a new dream that they get to dream, and through Jesus, there's restoration, and through Jesus, life can be wonderful. So I wanna finish with this tonight. I hope you have a wonderful life. I truly do. I hope your life is everything you hoped it would be and more. I hope you can say honestly that you are living the dream. But if you are like me, or you are like George Bailey, or you are like the people who are getting baptized tonight, or you are like many of the people in this room who know what it's like to struggle and to feel lost and to feel broken and not know what to do, please know that life is wonderful, not because of our circumstances, but because of Jesus. Because with Jesus, it's addiction and healing. It's shame and freedom through forgiveness. It's a loss of a child and joy in heaven. It's mistakes and endless second chances. It's Joseph and Mary giving birth all alone in a cave. But it's also good news that brings great joy. And it is a wonderful life. Let's pray. God, um, it's not far-fetched to say that every single person in this room understands 
that life at times is not wonderful. God, there are people sitting here tonight who, um, that's been there 2023. It's just broken dream after broken dream and pain after pain. God, we get to this Christmas season and what we do is we just kind of compartmentalize. God, we, we lean into the hope, we lean into the joy, we lean into uh, the fun of this season, but the reality is December 26th comes and, and we're just back to feeling unwonderful again. And so, God, we know that the reason why Christmas matters isn't because of lights and songs and trees. It's because hope became real, that you sent your son who would live a perfect life to die for us. And though, even though we experience the hardships of life, some things we chose for ourselves, some things life just put on us, that it can still be wonderful through you. So, God, I just pray for every person here tonight who understands what it's like to be George Bailey, to live a hard life a life different than what they wanted. But God, I pray that everybody here also understands that through a relationship with you and faith in you and trust in you, there is joy in the pain. There's hope in the broken dreams. There's grace in the mistakes. There's peace even when life feels like a storm. God, we're thankful that you sent your son for us. God, we're thankful that he paid the high price, a life for a life. God, we don't deserve it. We don't even feel like we're that valuable. You saw us valuable enough to send your son for us. God, we celebrate that this Christmas. God, we thank you and love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.